second grade, you're dismissed to children's church. This morning we're in continuing in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 to 38. This ends chapter 19. It ends the story of Lot. <clears throat> in fact, we don't really see any addition to his story in the rest of Scripture. He pops up, I think, one or two more times in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, just simply reiterating who he was. Uh, and <clears throat> so not any additional information that we, that we gain from those passages of Scripture. But we're going to talk about the issue with isolation today. <clears throat> we're going to see that in this passage with Lot and his two daughters. But before we dig into the, the passage of Scripture, I want to read this illustration to you that really helps us understand isolation. For two of his five years in a Vietnamese POW camp, Senator John McCain was locked in a tiny isolation cell cut off from all human contact. He was beaten regularly and then denied adequate medical treatment for two broken arms, a broken leg, and chronic dysentery. <clears throat> but for McCain, something was far worse than physical pain, the pain of isolation. McCain said, isolation crushes your spirit and weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. I don't, don't miss what he says there because it's going to be so important when we get into this passage of Scripture. It crushes your spirit and weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. Medical doctor Atul Gawande points to McCain's experience and then describes a study of nearly 150 U.S. naval aviators who returned from imprisonment in Vietnam. They reported that social isolation was, an ag was as agonizing as any abuse they had suffered, <clears throat> but what happened to them was physical. EEG studies going back to the 1960s have shown diffuse slowing of brain waves in prisoners after a week or more of solitary confinement. Gawande writes this, Some prisoners whose only social contact was a food tray shoved through a slot became catatonic or developed autistic features. Still others had panic attacks or became extraordinarily aggressive. These symptoms suggest neurological damage. Neuroimaging studies confirm that isolation creates the same level of activity in the brain as does physical distress. The neural signs of, of social pain look a lot like the signals created by physical pain. Interesting, isn't it? Even months after they were released, MRIs of prisoners of war in the former Yugoslavia showed the gravest neurological damage in those prisoners who had been locked in solitary confinement. Without sustained social interaction, the human brain may become as impaired as one that has incurred a traumatic head injury. Fascinating. <clears throat> so Judy and I enjoy going to Family Life Weekend to remember. We didn't go last year because, well, there was a pandemic. <clears throat> but uh, they had the kickoff yesterday uh, for it that's coming up in February. And, you know, we've attended, I don't even know how many years now, eight, nine years, something like that. It's just a great way for us to stay connected to the Lord and to each other. Uh, we enjoy getting, getting away. <clears throat> and in the manual that they have, I, I just want to read a couple of quotes from there and then uh, a couple of other items from that as well. If couples are not intentionally moving toward oneness, their marriages will drift toward isolation. So we have two choices in our marriages, either oneness or isolation. Uh, another quote says, the goal of marriage is not isolation, it's oneness. And so the natural drift toward isolation <clears throat> we see in, in these different phases. You're going to see them pop up. The romantic phase, which is uh, during dating or honeymoon. Maybe some of you are still in that phase after 25, 30, 40 years, right? You still in that? Yeah, romantic phase. Reality phase is the honeymoon or early marriage. 
Then you have the renovation, renovation phase, 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 which is where we're working over our spouse to adapt, their, uh, to adapt them to our own preferences, right? How many of you in the renovation stage? Like, I'm going to help them to be better, right? <laughs> to be more like me. <clears throat> then there's the retaliation phase after the renovation phase because you're upset um, about that. There's resentment and bitterness that turn into hurtful words and actions. And finally, if you don't move towards oneness, you're moving towards the rejection phase, which is emotional separation or divorce. And then what we see here is the path to oneness and that leads to hope. It's God's purpose for marriage. If we know what that is, we do from his word. God's plan for marriage, we know what that is. God's power for marriage, we have that with the Holy Spirit living within us. God's process for marriage, God's product for marriage. It's oneness. It's to lead to hope. And our desire and goal as a married couple is to intentionally move toward oneness. And I pray that that's the same for you and your spouse. Is it your desire is to intentionally move toward oneness. So how have we experienced isolation in our lives? Have you experienced it in a dating relationship? Maybe in your marriage. Maybe at work you're feeling isolated or at school. Maybe even at church. <clears throat> and what has that isolation done to us? You know, we may not think clearly. We may make decisions that we would not otherwise make. We can become irrational, agitated, angry, aggressive, frustrated, depressed, anxious, hopeless, even suicidal. Right? When we are isolated, I mean, isolation is playing havoc with our brains, right? It's as though we've experienced some kind of brain damage. And so today finishes the story of Lot and his family. As I mentioned earlier, he's not mentioned again in, Gen in the Genesis account. And we'll see that he and his two daughters were isolated from the re uh, rest of society and the effect that it had in their lives. Isolation caused them to compromise their morality. And so what we're going to learn today in, in our big idea is this. Compromise leads to immorality. Now, we talked about two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that compromise, um, you know, hurts our witness. It weakens our witness. Then last week, Pastor Mark shared about the fact that, that compromise weakens our relationship with God. And all of this is leading to this today where compromise leads to immorality. So it weakens our witness, it weakens our relationship with God, and then eventually we're moving into immorality. And so as we think about that big idea, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit this to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today. <clears throat> Some of us have, have experienced isolation. Maybe we're experiencing it right now. Lord God, I pray that, that through this message today, we would be encouraged and strengthened to be in relationship and fellowship with one another. That, Lord God, it pro will protect us from morality. So, Lord, we ask that you would um, just come, and we, uh, we welcome you because we know you're already here. The Holy Spirit is with us simply because we've been gathering together today, and we thank you that, that we uh, know that he's here. <clears throat> and, Lord, I pray that we would be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today from your word? Lord God, would you transform us through it? And we commit it to you now. We ask this in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Look at verse 30 in Genesis chapter 19, if you would. And this is what God's word says. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, uh, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. <clears throat> so we see this move to isolation. It's, it's been happening um, 
uh, you know, all, all throughout this passage in chapter 19. But out of fear, Lot and his two daughters leave Zoar, and they head to the mountains. Now, we're not given the reason for Lot's fear of staying in Zoar, but we can speculate and say that perhaps he noticed rather quickly <clears throat> that Zoar was just as wicked as Sodom, and he knew the end result of that. So he's like, ah, I don't really want to. I don't really want to set up shop here. I don't want to really um, establish a dwelling here uh, with my two daughters, only to be uprooted again, uh, maybe in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years. Because wow, these these uh, people, uh, you know, they were supposed to destroy Zoar as one of the five cities in the plains. But if you remember, out of fear. Lot had petitioned the angels to allow him to flee to Zoar instead of to the mountains. Because he's like, I'm never going to make it to the mountains. I'm going to be overrun. I'll die. So he's like, can we go here? And so the angel's like, okay, we're going to spare Zoar. And maybe they did for a period of time. And then I don't know. We don't, we don't know the result of what happened with Zoar uh, down the line. <clears throat> but it was out of fear that he, he now leaves Zoar. Um, and so now we find Lot and his daughters right where they were originally supposed to be. Don't you find that fascinating? Like we say to God sometimes, hey God, I don't know about that, but how about this? And he goes, okay. And then you go there and you realize, well, that's not quite, that wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so God, I think I'll go where you told me to originally go. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> Just wanted you, you know, I, that's, my, that's my story. 13 years, I told God, I work in children's ministry. I'll do children's ministry, God. But pastoral ministry, no, 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 I don't think that's it. And, and then, you know, 13 years later, I'm like, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll, I'll be in pastoral ministry. He goes, I know. <laughs> and what a blessing. What a blessing to be right where God wants us to be. Principle one is this. God's plan is always best for us. Do you believe that today? His plan is always best for us. Has that ever happened to you? God has made it clear to you what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go. And in our humanness, we believe we know better than God, so we don't obey his word immediately. Instead, we try to accomplish it a different way or try to do something completely different. And many times, when we finally come to our senses, we obey the Lord's original message to us and find ourselves right where we're supposed to be, right where he originally wanted us to be. And sometimes that journey is short, but most times that that journey is long and difficult, isn't it? I don't know about you, but the older I get, the shorter those journeys become because I've learned to follow the Lord first and not try to do my plan. Those, short, those journeys have become a whole lot shorter. Praise the Lord for that. I hope the same is true for you. Where are you at today? Are you on a long, difficult path right now because you're trying to do something in opposition to what God has told you to do? Remember Jonah? Do you remember him? He, uh, he went the opposite direction. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he goes, well, I think I'm going to catch a ship to Tarshish. <laughs> I'm going to go the opposite direction. And then his, um, his uh, disobedience of God endangered others because of his rebellion. You know, he's sleeping down in the hall of the boat, right? And everybody else is freaking out. They're throwing stuff overboard. And then they finally, the captain comes down and goes, hey, what are you doing sleeping? Man, get up and cry out to your God. You know, something's wrong. What's going on? He goes, oh, yeah, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the reason why the storm's here. And they're like, well, what, do you, what do we need to do? Throw me overboard. What? Yeah, just throw me overboard. It'll be all right. And then they're crying out to his God. And like, don't, don't hold us accountable for his death. We're going to chuck him overboard. And then he spends three days in the belly of a large fish, right? 
wow. And then he gets to experience one thing that I can't stand, and that's regurgitation. I don't know about you. I, I don't like to do it ever. I try not to ever. And, and he gets to experience it from the inside out. I mean, imagine that for just a moment. Um, I'm so glad. I hope I never get swallowed by a big fish because I'm in rebellion against God. But, um, but then he obeyed the Lord, and he went to Nineveh, right? And God did something incredible there. They, they like, turned. They, they repented. And, and that's, that's what happens when we do what God calls us to do. When he calls us to do it, we see God do incredible things. So do you need to recognize that God's plan is best for you today? Do you need to abandon your plans and begin following God's plan? And I don't know about you, but I hope you're glad that God is loving, compassionate, forgiving, and patient. I sure am. I've seen him just do that in my life time and time and time again, where he's been loving and compassionate, forgiving, and patient with me until I come around to his plan. And so maybe you're ready to take this first next step today, and that's to acknowledge that I am following my own plan instead of God's and begin to follow God's plan today. Boy, I hope you make that decision today. Go home today and cry out to him and say, God, I have been in opposition to what you want to do in my life, and I'm ready to take the step today to be obedient to you. My guess is that God's plan to move Lot to an isolated location was completely different than the outcome that we're going to see in just a moment. Lot moved out of a nice home in Sodom and is now living in a cave. Scripture doesn't tell us, so I'm saying perhaps. Perhaps God's moving Lot into a time of isolation so that Lot will turn his face to God instead of to the things of this world. How many of you have experienced God putting you flat on your back so that all you can do is focus on him. Have you experienced that? I think that's what God's trying to do with Lot. He doesn't put him flat on his back, but he isolates him. He says, Lot, I need you to look to me. I need you to stop focusing on the things of this world. I need you to stop compromising time and time again from looking at, the, at Sodom to moving your tents close to Sodom to living in Sodom to offering your daughters up you know, to, to men to abuse them sexually to... All this stuff. I need you to stop that compromise. I need you to focus on me. I think that's why God's moving Lot to this isolation. That's that's where he wanted them originally. He wanted them in in the mountains. But what happens isn't necessarily what God had planned. And so the second principle today is this. God's design for his people is relationship and fellowship, not isolation. (laughs) We see this in verses 31 to 32. We see this <clears throat> isolation irrationality. This is what isolation can do to us. Look at verses 31 to th- and 32. God's word says this. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, our father is old. I don't know if your kids have ever told you that. They've told, our kids have told me that, yeah. Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then ally with him and preserve our family line through our father. So the older daughter recognizes that their father is old. <laughs> I already mentioned that about me, so and I'm having to wear glasses a lot more now. Which likely means that they believe he will not remarry. <clears throat> There's no hope of additional siblings. I want you to think of uh, Naomi and Ruth, right? Think of that story of Naomi and Ruth. So 
Naomi's husband dies, then her two son-in-laws die, <clears throat> and she has her two daughters-in-law. And they say, we will go wherever you go. Because she said, I'm heading back to my country. We'll go wherever you go. And she said, no, you don't have to do that. And, and she tells them, like, I'm not planning on getting remarried, and are you really going to wait until I have more sons that you can marry them? He's like, it's not going to happen. But then Ruth uh, still goes with her, correct? Finds Boaz, and, uh, who is the kinsman redeemer, and everything. And so uh, they recognize, like, dad's not getting remarried. He's not having more kids. <clears throat> There's nobody around here that we're going to be able to marry. Now, uh, to the best of the daughter's knowledge, the loss of life at Sodom was total. There was not a man on earth to come into us. And so that kind of leads us to the, the third principle today, that isolation breeds misinformation. We see this with the two daughters. Even though Zoer is not destroyed, they feel like, uh, they're <clears throat> they feel like they are the only people left on earth. Even though just down in the valley, there's this one town. In their families, uh, in their, I'm sorry, if their fiancés in Sodom were any indication of the moral fiber of the men in Zoer, then they probably didn't even consider them as potential husbands. They're like, yeah, our fiancés died <laughs> in Sodom. There's fire and brimstone coming down from heaven. And so Zoer is the same way. Certainly they were aware of Abraham and Ishmael by this point. Abraham had other servants, and there would have been potential uh, people there. There was also many other towns and cities beside the five cities in the plains. But you hear what the, the, what the two girls say. There is no one around which can come in and lie with us, which is the custom of our day. Like just nobody. Around. And so this isolation just breeds misinformation. That's not true. And we saw this with the pandemic shut down in our own country, didn't we? When we were isolated, our only form of information was from the major news outlets, and the isolation that we experienced only bred misinformation. And it was difficult to know what was true and trustworthy and what was not. And uh, we're certainly, uh, were certain prophylactic or preventative drugs successful against the coronavirus or not? You'd hear one thing and then uh, one viewpoint about how they were, and then uh, those beliefs were labeled as misinformation, and then individuals were canceled, right? So we couldn't get good information. And we were isolated, so we didn't know. <clears throat> and while in isolation, we were left to figure it out on our own, which bred misinformation and fear. And the misinformation and fear then caused some people to think and act irrationally. When have you experienced misinformation because of being isolated? It can happen at work when you work remotely because you're not seeing people's body language. Body language is like 85% of our communication, and we don't use that hardly at all because we text, we email, we even call somebody on the phone. They can hear our tone, but they can't see our body language. It can happen in our families when we live far apart. It can happen at church when we aren't able to attend consistently. We hear news about the church secondhand with the individual's perspective and understanding of what they heard, which may not always be accurate. It can happen with our friends when we text them and they misread or misunderstand what, they were, what we were saying. And sometimes we even miss a text or we don't receive it immediately after it's sent, which can breed fear and anxiety about what the other person's thinking, right? Why didn't they respond? What's going on? Let me give you an example. Just from yesterday, we were driving, taking Kinsley back home 
over the mountain. So we were almost at the top of Big Flat. And uh, Wade calls us. <clears throat> There's not a lot of good service on the top of the mountain, by the way. So Wade calls us, and he goes, did you see the, the weird lights in the sky tonight? There was like a line of lights. Judy goes, I think I saw it, but it, I thought it looked like a shooting star, but it was kind of weird looking. It didn't really look like a shooting star. And, and so he's talking to us about, he said, we got video of it. We got pictures of it and everything. And he goes, and then we dropped the call because we were on the top of the mountain. So it's probably like 10, 15 minutes before we get down in the ship is where we get service again. And so we finally call him back, and he goes, I was starting to freak out. He said, I was telling you about these weird lights in the sky, and then your call dropped, and he thought, what is the government doing? <laughs> right? And it was a group of satellites that had been launched a, a couple of, what, a week ago? A couple of days ago. And they're in a low orbit. And so you're seeing the lights on these satellites. So they're all in a line. I have, have video and a picture of if you want to see it after the service. Wade sent it to me. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we see that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, what is it? What's going on? And because we dropped the call, he thought, oh, no. <laughs> What's going on? So, anyhow, isolation can, uh, can create misinformation in our lives. <laughs> it can happen at school. If we miss several days, we may not get, get the right information about what's due and when. Sometime asked me about a story I shared with, with Mark Sobel on Thursday night. See, that's what happens when you miss Thursday night discipleship. You miss some other really neat stories. But when we, were, uh, when we are misinformed, we can become irrational in our thinking and actions, which is what we see in verses 32 to 35. The only way to combat misinformation is to go to the source. <clears throat> we have to go to the source. Judy does a great job of this, and then she keeps me informed. So I appreciate that. During the election cycle, she would try to listen to the whole speech from a candidate instead of listening to the opinion pieces and the spin of the media. And when she did that, she avoided the hazard of misinformation and therefore could make an intelligent decision about which candidate to vote for. That's so important. Going back to the source, the second step today is this, to avoid misinformation and becoming irrational through regular fellowship with others. The two daughters were perhaps not even in fellowship with the Lord at this point, which is evident by their statement about the customs all over the earth. The daughters were looking at the, to the customs of their society to dictate and justify what they were about to do. They were not relying on the Lord to provide a miraculous and moral solution to their problem. They're like, we got to figure it out on our own. And how many of us would admit that sometimes we have chosen the societal customs of the earth to dictate and justify our irrational uh, behaviors and or decisions. You hear the age-old saying, well, everybody else is doing it, right? So it must be all right. Everybody else is doing it. And then your parents would always say something like, so if so-and-so jumped off the Empire State Building, would you do that? You know, did you ever get that one? <laughs> if they would jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, would you jump off the Golden Gate Bridge? Because everybody's doing it. We do not rely on the Lord to provide a miraculous and moral solution to our problem. And I want to encourage us today to rely on the Lord to help solve our problems. Turn to Him in prayer. Read His Word. Seek the advice of godly family members and friends. And that's not what Lot's two daughters did. Instead, they turned to trickery. The two daughters know that what uh, they are proposing is immoral, which is why they conspired to get their father drunk. And you see, compromise leads to immorality. Matthews in his commentary says, the intent to preserve our family line 
was honorable, but the means of incest was deplorable. That it was so uh, understood by the daughters themselves explains why they had to trick their father through drink. <clears throat> and here's why they had to do that trickery. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 6 to 18. Listen to this. God's pretty clear. It's pretty clear here. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with the daughter of your father's wife, born to your father. She is your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she is your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either um, her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are her close relatives. That is wickedness. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. I think God makes it pretty clear. That's just off limits. <clears throat> it's off limits to do that. And so that's why these two daughters are like, we're going to have to trick our dad. And so that's what they do. <clears throat> while their desire to have a family was not immoral, the way in which they proposed to have a family was. Look at verses 33 to 35. This is isolation and morality that we see here. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So Lot's two daughters get their father to drink wine two nights in a row. The first night, the older daughter goes in and, and lays down with him. She had sexual relations with him. The second night, the younger daughter went in and laid down with him. She, too, had sexual relations with him. To even think about that and what they're doing should just turn our stomachs. It should make our skin crawl. But this is what compromise does. It leads to immorality. They were justifying their actions because they've con they had compromised just like their father time and time and time again. It makes us think that what is immoral is acceptable. The ends justify the means. <coughs> Hamilton says this earlier, the father was willing to use his daughters for sexual purposes without their consent. Now they will use their father for sexual purposes without his consent. <laughs> it was kind of modeled for them. That leads us to the fourth principle that isolation can lead to immorality. Lot's two daughters knew that no one else was around to judge or hold them accountable for their actions. They're isolated. They're in a cave up in the mountains. No one else is around. No one else in the valley in the city of Zoar is going to have to know about this. No one in any of the other cities around them. Abraham and his, his clan aren't going to need to know about this. The other inhabitants in the region would never have to know how they became pregnant. 
Isolation can do the same thing for us. The internet and personal devices have allowed us to be isolated, even in a crowd. Have you noticed that? People are on their phones. They're not even paying attention to all the people around them, and they're isolated. They're, they're completely isolated in a crowd. It's hard to believe that that can happen. We can lock our phones so that no one can access them to see what we've been looking at. We can even browse the internet with the quote-unquote private setting engaged so that no one will know what we've been searching for. We can engage in emotional affairs online without having to really tell the other person who we are. The move to isolation has taken a major toll on on the morality of our society. If anyone's struggling with immorality because of isolation, I want to encourage you to find an accountability partner that will ask you the tough questions that will be there when, when you're tempted to give in to immoral behaviors. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to, to guys that are struggling. And it's like, oh, I'm, I, I'm all right. I can do it. And dude, I'm, no, you can't. I can't. I know you can't. We need relationship. We need fellowship in order to avoid immorality. We need other people to hold us accountable God did not design us to live in isolation, but rather in fellowship with others. That's the third next step today is admit that I'm dealing with immorality and commit to finding an accountability partner. We have to be in relationship. That's how we can overcome temptation. Lot's two daughters had allowed isolation to lead them to irrational decisions about immorality. Lot was not even aware of what had happened with he and his daughters. And we are not told if Lot ever found out how his daughters became pregnant, but we'll see the results of their isolation in morality in verses 36 to 38. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of, of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. <laughs> So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant. <clears throat> and we see Lot's descendants here. The older daughter has a son. She names him Moab. Moab was apparently derived from the combination of min, which means from, plus av, which means father, which becomes ma'av, from my father. And it's a reflection of the previous ma'ahamen, meaning literally from their father. So if their dad didn't know how they got pregnant, that he did now. They weren't really discreet, right? She wasn't discreet. This older daughter was like, Moab, from my father. And maybe he still didn't get it. I don't know. He was, might have been slow. But Moab's descendants became the Moabites. Baldwin says the Moabites worshipped a fertility god and indulged in orgies which beguiled the Israelites on their way into the promised land. They caused the Israelites all kinds of headaches as they were going into the promised land. But the amazing thing is that God protected the Moabites from the Israelites. Man, we see the grace and mercy of God. Why? I don't even know. I I can't wrap my head around it. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9. This is what God's word says. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So as they're going in and and like wiping everybody else out, he's like, don't mess with the Moabites. They're Lot's descendants. Leave them alone. Keep that in mind. The younger daughter probably followed in her sister's footsteps. She wasn't very discreet either. Ben Ami. 
born to the younger daughter means son of my paternal kinsman. What, what are you doing here? Of all the names you could choose, you've got to choose from my father and son of my paternal kinsman. So the younger daughter was no less creative or discreet in naming her son. Now, Benami's descendants became the Ammonites. Ammon became noted uh, for cruelty not only in war, but even in religious observance. For Molech was the Ammonite god who demanded child sacrifice. A lot of compromise going on there in these two um, nations. They too caused the Israelites headaches, but God also protected their land. Just 10 verses later in Deuteronomy chapter 2, we see it in 2.19. When you come to the Ammonites, do not harass them or provoke them to war, for I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. Why, why do you think God's doing this? Why is he protecting the Moabites and the Ammonites? Do you remember God's promise to Abraham back in chapter 12? He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless all nations because of you. Do you think Lot's descendants are experiencing that? You better believe it. God's blessing them because of Abraham. Not because of Lot. Not because of Moab. Not because of Ben-Ami. Not because of the two daughters. He's blessing them because of Abraham. While Lot was unaware of when his daughters came in to him and lay with him, my guess is that he knew what had happened when both daughters became pregnant at the same time and then named their sons the way that they did. And through this Bible passage today, we've learned that isolation can cause us to think and act irrationally and that compromise leads to immorality. <laughs> a couple of questions to review. Are you currently on a long and difficult path because you've chosen your plan over God's plan? What do you need to do to fix that today? Have you given in to irrational behavior due to misinformation and a lack of fellowship? What do you need to do to deal with that misinformation? Do you need to find an accountability partner to help with your immorality that you're struggling with in your life? As a body of believers, we need to seek God's face for his plan for Idaville Church and not allow our plans to take precedence. We shared some of those plans this morning through the Mission Possible meeting. We need to make sure that misinformation does not spread by going to the source. We need to go back to the source. And then God's word tells us not to neglect meeting together. It says that in Hebrews 10, 25. So we need to make sure we're obeying God's word. The fellowship of believers is so important. As I conclude this morning, I just want to read this illustration from Chuck Swindoll. The Europeans who came to settle North America found it vast and unexplored. Self-reliant was the watchword, and the scout, a mountain man or pioneer, with his axe and rifle over his shoulder became the national hero. Can you see it in your mind? In the early days, the government gave away quarter sections of land to anyone who would uh, homestead in order to encourage settlement. People flocked west from crowded cities and villages to have their own land at last. Before they could uh, farm the land they had chosen, their first job was to build a sod hut to live in. And most families built them right smack dab in the middle of their quarter section. The reason was obvious. People who had never owned land before had a new a sense of pride and ownership. They wanted to feel that everything they saw belonged to them. 
But that custom changed quickly. This chosen isolation did not uh, did strange things to people. Occasionally, f- photographers went out to record life on the frontier and return with photographs of weird men, wild-eyed women, and haunted-looking children. Before long, most of these families learned to move their houses to their to one corner of their property to live in proximity with three other families who also lived on the corners of their property. Four families living together, sharing life and death, joy and sorrow, abundance and want, had a good chance of making it. Isn't that amazing? God designed us to be in fellowship, in relationship with one another. If you're isolated, maybe you need to move your house. I'm kidding. (laughs) Put it on the corner of your lot. Be closer to your neighbor, right? Most of us are like, I want to get further away from my neighbor. I want to get closer to him. But as I think about as a body of believers, we need to be together in fellowship. We need to be together. That's how we hold each other accountable. That's how we avoid compromising and moving towards immorality in our lives. And so I hope that you're encouraged and strengthened today by God's word. I hope that uh, the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and mind to just transform you. As we think about that and as the worship team comes, would you just bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we come to you. Thank you for your word. It's so powerful, Lord God. We thank you that we can learn so much through it. And Lord, today we see the... the, the, the issue of isolation and that, Lord God, it, it causes us to think irrationally. It causes us to do a lot of different things that we wouldn't do normally. And I just ask, Lord God, that if, if anyone's struggling with isolation today, that they would reach out. They would find somebody to be in fellowship with. That, Lord, if there's those that are struggling with immorality today, that they would reach out. That they might have victory. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?